Oh, okay, stopped. All right. Waiting for the all good? All good? All right. Uh, the Bible Project's a great project. Uh, it's been going for, let's see, 2009. How long ago was that? 13 years? Uh, they've gone, they're, they start with a Kickstarter. You know what that is? A Kickstarter is a, a website where they have a project or a, a thing they want to create and they don't have the funding for it, so they kind of say, hey, here's our goal. We need this much money to accomplish it. If you want to back our thing, we'll give you some stuff. And so they started with kind of raising funds from the crowd, and they got so popular that they're now a huge entity. They have their own Bible apps, for example. Uh, whenever you open their Bible app and you get to a particular book, you can play their video right there from the app on your phone. So uh, I love them and what they do. Uh, they're definitely, of course, not associated with the Church of Christ, uh, but they've got so, uh, Tim Mackey is the main guy that you heard talking in, in the, the video portion. And he's a scholar, and he's got some, some great background stuff. He has a podcast, too, where he talks about why he made the videos the way that he did and so on. So I think the most obvious thing that maybe jumped out at you was the ending. Yeah? Is that, have you ever heard that before? That you shouldn't have the last end of Mark in your Bible? Anybody? Yeah, you've heard that before? Okay, well, uh, we can talk about that when we get to it. If you want to talk about it now, that's fine, but it's kind of off topic for today. Uh, it's an interesting thought, at the very least, because you've got a couple of passages and sections in the Gospel accounts that they're not there in the oldest three uh, manuscripts that we have, but they are present in the later ones that we have a lot of copies of. Uh, and so the question really comes down to which is the more accurate one? The one that's newer and therefore not as old, uh, but we have a lot of copies of it, or do we go to the oldest copies that we have and just believe that and then insert the newer quote-unquote material uh, as a supplement, knowing that it's maybe not there in the original autograph of what the author wrote? That's basically the debate um, between modern translations and older translations. And so we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, for me personally, just so you know out of the gate, uh, if you believe that the end of Mark should be there because that's scripture and you want to bind it, okay, whatever you want to do. If you don't believe it's part of scripture and you just say it's a good supplement to hear the end of a story, then sure, whatever. It's not a matter of salvation for me whatsoever because we don't get our salvation from the end of Mark. We get it from the compilation of the canon of Scripture, and we don't really need the end of Mark per se uh, to have the plan of salvation for today. Is that clear? Okay. All right. Any more questions about what the video we just saw? I thought that was a good setup because they're very good at making a visual in which you can see First half, second half, right? So, okay, we're picking up this morning in the book of Mark, chapter 1. <clears throat> we talked about the unclean spirit, sometimes called a demon. In verse 24, the demon or unclean spirit cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. So that's kind of an echo of what we heard from the Bible project about the idea of him trying to suppress the people that knew who he was from announcing who he was. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So what do we have here? Whoops, sorry. What do we have here? Anybody. What just happened? teaching and proclaiming and healing and he doesn't want it known yet that he is the son of God because he's got to do all this to prove who he is and he doesn't want to die yet you know he's got a plan right so he is doing his ministry now he's doing his work his service that's all ministry really means is just service right and so we've got <clears throat> Jesus being identified by an unclean spirit who knows uh, apparently from his I don't know how to say it, from his background, from his uh, confession, from his lifestyle, from his authority. He is the Messiah. He's the one that they've been waiting for for all, these time, all this time. And uh, he casts him out. His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And then I mentioned last week how we've got Mark, and he is just rolling through the text, right? He is just getting to the point. And the key phrase in the book of Mark is what? Immediately. <laughs> so here in verse 29, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So who's present in the house? James and John. James and John. Sons of Zebedee or Thunder, right? And then? Jesus. Jesus, Peter, and Andrew, right? Okay. Now Simon's mother-in-law... So who's Simon? Peter. Lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. So she's got an illness, laying sick with a fever. Peter apparently is married. Right? It's hard to have a mother-in-law without being married. Right? If so, it's the cruelest punishment. No, I'll leave it there. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So this is a kind of quick thing here. They've got a need. They bring it to Jesus, and he addresses that need and heals her. And what does she immediately do? Serve, serve them. Has anyone begun watching um, the, the Chosen? There it is. Okay, This is a scene that they kind of take their liberties with, obviously, in the first season of this, but she is ill with a fever. Jesus walks over, and before they leave the town with Peter assisting the disciples, they heal her real quick so that the, the wife of Peter has some comfort. So that's kind of the story that they came up with. <clears throat> at evening, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. And so again, just to visualize what that must have looked like, 
I mean, we have an idea of watching CNN or Fox News today about large gatherings coming together. I mean, you talk about Ukraine and Russia right now being the big deal that's going on still. And you see all these groups of people, but it's kind of in a modern take, right? Well, back in the day, you just have an entire city or village or town coming together in one location. It's going to be confusing, right? You don't have a, a good way to make big announcements. Bev? Immediate. Mm -hmm. You know, she gets right up service. When we go to the doctor, we get antibiotics, and it's a slow process. But all during Jesus' ministry, that's really seemed to be immediate. It's instant healing. Yeah, that's a big difference, right? We pray for healing today, and we don't necessarily expect or see that miraculous healing. I mean, we have the providence of God and the care that He provides through the means of doctors and physicians and people that support and pray for, but there's also the element that we know that God has the, the ability and the power uh, to heal us as well. Uh, but this is definitely instantaneous. Um, okay, verse 34. Yeah. Keep in mind that the reason Jesus would have said uh, to the demons be silent is it was too soon for the knowledge that he was the chosen one, the Messiah, to get out to the uh, Jewish uh, hierarchy the, uh, so that he would not be targeted immediately. That could be the case. I mean, it makes the most sense just logically. I think also kind of keeping in the back of our minds the idea of what was mentioned in the video, that uh, when the people of the first century heard about a Messiah, they were expecting that white knight on a horse to come in like David and kick out the Romans. And if they were expecting that of Jesus, they're going to be disappointed, uh, which ultimately some folks were, right? Because uh, they wanted that physical nation, that physical kingdom. They wanted to be like David on the throne again, and they wanted to be that Israel that they read about in their, their Torah. Um, and so, yeah, it's... There's, it's never expressly mentioned specifically in Scripture what the reason was. Uh, that would be helpful, I suppose. But it's also it's very kind of limiting a little bit because we don't have the space to think about it, like why that's not the case. Chris? Uh, were they still in Capernaum when uh, Jesus healed? Sure. So Mark didn't say it, but yeah, okay. I mean, it appears that way. I'm just curious. So we can assume that Simon Peter was from yeah, that's a trivia thing I've forgotten over the years. <laughs> now, I don't know. You have to look. I have to look it up for you. But I, I, if you say so, Chris, I believe you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what they say. I'll leave it there. You know what they say. Uh, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Um, so yeah, there was that. There's, there's small glimpses behind the spiritual realm, or behind the physical realm into the spiritual realm, rather. And, you know, I just wish we had more information. You're going to hear that from me a lot. Uh, we have all we need, no doubt about it. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, it's so unlike the physical realm, it's hard to comprehend. So the best that we get and these little glimpses behind the curtain is 
it kind of looks like this, and he kind of had this kind of face, but he had a bunch of different faces, and he had a bunch of different wings, and with some he covered himself, and uh, and he flew with two, and then there's a wheel within a wheel. Again, like that's the best we're going to get. So it's complicated to say the least, Um, but I'm sure we'll figure it out one day. Okay, verse 35. Uh, We were here a couple of weeks ago talking about this in a sermon, so the should sound familiar to you. If it doesn't, I mean, I don't know, okay. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, which is, by the way, a biblical description for how early it was. If you're waking up before the sun's up, it's very early in the morning, according to God. So anyway, small joke that's not funny. But he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Uh, What does your translation say if you have something different for desolate place? Solitary place? Okay. And Simon and and those who were with him searched for him. So you've got the folks. They were there basically all night, right? Casting out demons, healing people. The whole city was there. Uh, I'm sure it would have been taxing. I'm not sure how, obviously, Jesus healed people in a miraculous way. Um, I'll, again, plug the chosen uh, one more time. When you see him after a long day of healing... He's physically exhausted. He, he gets back to the camp, and they're fighting about whatever in one season, one episode. And he's like, all right, good night, and just goes to bed because he is just physically exhausted. I never thought about it that way before. I guess I just assumed that when you hear, heal someone miraculously, it's like no sweat. But I don't know how that works, obviously. And I wasn't there in the first century. So apparently, verse 36, Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. So Simon's like, hey, boss, we uh, got more folks that need to be helped here. And by helped, he means healed. And then verse 38, he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, because that is why I came out. So what is the mission or the role or the job or the duty of Jesus so far according to Mark? Preach is one of them. Apparently he's healing. He's proclaiming what? The kingdom. Repent, therefore, because the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. And who is me- whose message was that originally? John the Baptist. The Baptist, right? Okay. So that's so far from Mark what we've seen the mission of Jesus to be. It's not going to be the end-all, be-all, mind you, but that is the setup so far. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So he's just making the tour, right? And a leper came to him. Let's pause right here. What is leprosy? Skin disease. Skin disease, yeah. Well, that means it's uncurable, and the people stayed away, so that person was isolated. Very contagious. Very contagious, right? We have provisions for it back in the Old Testament, right? The Torah. Exodus and Deuteronomy cover you know, what you're supposed to do when someone's found with leprosy. So it was a real problem. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes. Accurate. There's, a, there's, there's something more, though, that's going on there, right? So let's think about the Passover meal for a moment. So what's the Passover meal? 
Passover in Egypt, where the angel of death passed over the houses that were painted with blood, mm -hmm. but they killed the firstborn of everyone and everything in Egypt. Okay, so it was a memorial feast, right? Or meal, we would say, and more common vernacular. A um, bunch of regulations around it, right? Kill a lamb if you can't finish it all, share with your neighbor. You have the door lintels or posts that you would paint with the blood of the lamb, right? And that night, when the angel of death would see the blood, what would it do? Pass over the house and go to the next one, right? That's the Passover meal. Uh, there's one very interesting requirement about the bread for the Passover meal. And what was that? No yeast, no leaven, right? It was so stringent they had to take a broom and sweep the entire house to get all that possible leaven remnants out of the, the, the house, right? Why does God care about yeast? In the book of Exodus. The bread was supposed to be cooked fast. Okay, true. Right? They're booking it, right? What else? Why does God care about yeast? It's a big deal. It spreads. Okay. Later, it would be an image or a type, if you will, antitype sometimes, of the idea of sin, right? In 1 Corinthians, for example, talking from Paul, talking to the Corinthian church, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's like, you guys have someone that's actively living in sin in your number and you're not addressing it. What is that going to do? It's going to spread. You have someone saying, this person over here is living in sin. We all know it. No one cares. What's the big deal if I go back into sin? So you have this contagious aspect. In a similar way, we have other things that are types or they typify sin, like leprosy. So yes, Miriam did get leprosy, for example, because she overstepped her boundary to be polite about it when it comes to Moses being the leader that God chose and prepared for him to be the one to, to lead the people from Israel, or from Egypt, rather. Um, but also, leprosy is one of those things that when we look at it today, it doesn't seem to be a, as, as big of an issue because of our modern advances. However, back in the first century, if you were a leper, you often lived in a colony, a leper colony, where you would have only people in this restricted area who have leprosy, and they can intermingle with one another until they die, uh, but they can't go and spread it somewhere else. Bev? So they were unclean. Like yeah. Gentiles, because, you know, the Jewish nation, they're mm -hmm. clean, the Gentiles are unclean. That's kind of a symbol, and it's a little symbolic there, maybe. Yeah, could be. Uh, verse 40, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So what did the leper here in this instance have? He had faith. Humility. Humility. A boldness, I would say, to be able to leave his isolation, to come to a populated area where Jesus was and kneel before him and say, if you want it to be so, you can make me clean. Yeah, I mean, that's a good motivation, right? Move with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean, or I want to be clean. <clears throat> and immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Because back in the day, if you had leprosy and you somehow became clean, you had a, a price to pay, right? Go present yourself to the priesthood, pay an offering, and then they inspect you, you're good to go, you can go back into your normal life. But he went out and began to talk about it freely and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So here we have a small glimpse as to what the consequences are if someone doesn't keep it under wraps who Jesus was. And what's the consequence? He, yeah, there's so many people approaching him, he can't do the work he was sent to do. They were coming to him after that. They were coming to hear his message, and how many were just coming to see a miracle before he asked for a miracle? So there's a man named uh, Dr. Bronner. Anyone heard of him before? No? Okay. Well, the only reason why I know of him is because I like his soap. He makes a certain kind of soap called Dr. Bronner's Soap, okay? <laughs> uh, and he, all over this bottle of soap, has got some theories about the world. And when you read it, it sounds good until you keep reading it, and it sounds like almost nonsense. So Dr. Bronner was a guy that escaped uh, Nazi Germany and the camps, and when he got out, he came to, I think it was New York, and began producing soap to earn some income. And what he would do is go to a public place and try to sell or give away his soap. And the main thing was the message that he had on the bottles. That was the whole point. It's propaganda, right? It was, it's good messaging, but it's, it's a little bit odd. It sounds kind of you know, culty a little bit, right? So he's kind of giving this stuff away, and the people would come back to him in the park for the soap. Why do you think people were coming back to get the bottle of soap? Well, it was free for a while. But it wasn't for the messaging that he had hoped to influence the world with. We're all one and we're all family. This is our Mother Earth spaceship, for example. Some of the thoughts he had. Okay. <laughs> But he was not trying to, uh, he was not getting the, the results he was looking for from the messaging on the bottle. He was getting a lot of interest because his soap was really, really good. And so in a similar kind of way, weird analogy, I'm sure, but when you have Jesus out here, what are the people likely just saying about Jesus? We got this guy. Apparently some folks think he's the Messiah, but he can heal you and cast out your demons and get rid of leprosy, this is the guy we're all going to see. And what was his mission? Not just that, but to preach the message of the kingdom. Now, interestingly, one more layer to this is you almost get the sense, almost, he was moved with compassion, he wanted to help the people, no doubt about it, but you almost get the sense he wasn't trying to heal these people. That wasn't his main goal, because if you look at it, um, verse 39, 
he went all throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And the people that came to be healed, they were almost like bystanders, right? And so when I look at this in verses 40 through 45, <clears throat> we got the guy, has a leper, comes to him in humility, and it seems like he wants to just preach the message. But he's moved with compassion, moved with pity, verse 41. He stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I will, or I, I want to, be clean. Uh, verse 43, he sternly charged him, don't talk about this stuff, <laughs> and then you know, go on your way. You see him almost like trying to get the message out, but he's interrupted and he can't help but trying to assist the people that he knows he can assist. That's one reading of it. Not a big deal if you don't see it there. Just a thought I had in my mind. Any questions, comments? I think it's interesting he never got leprosy or whatever diseases he was touching the people that was so contagious. Well, interesting you say that. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin, right? Big picture here, yeah, he lived in the world, but he was not of it. He was influenced by temptations, apparently. We saw Matthew 4, for example, previously. Um, he's not touched by it. So why would leprosy be a problem for him? Weird, though. You know, unusual. Only one person I know like this. Here he is. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, people were still following him. Verse, uh, whatever it was, 45. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, so there you go, Chris, you were wrong. Uh, it, was <laughs> it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So we've got him going back to what his mission was, preaching the word. Uh, he's in this house, which you'd think you know, he'd learn by now. You don't go to a house where you can't fit the whole town, but here he is. And they came, I mean the people, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I mean, that's one way to do it, right? Uh, if you can't get in the door, just go to the roof. And again, to qu quote the, the Chosen, you see this done in a very interesting way, a uh, humorous way. And when Jesus saw their faith, okay, let's pause. Who's the there here in this context? And the sick person, paralytic. Paralytic. <laughs> so there is plural, right? It should be pretty simple to ascertain. Not just the guy who's in the bed, but the people that were helping him get near Jesus. They had the faith. So I don't even know if the paralytic knew who Jesus was or what they were doing, but these four guys got together and said, we know of a guy who can help you. And so here we go. We can't get in the front door. Let's go to the roof and lower you down. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. What's different about this one? 
forgive sins. I mean, you got a paralyzed guy here, and you're saying your sins are forgiven. And he's like, uh, thanks. <laughs> but it'd be great to walk home, you know? Uh, a little bit different, right? We have an, an additional thing happening here. Has he ever said to anyone, according to Mark's gospel account thus far, your sins are forgiven? Nope. Not that I remember. I might have missed it, but I don't think so. So now we've got something different happening here. We're going to realize why in just a minute. <clears throat> Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, thinking to themselves, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, we have the benefit, the privilege of looking back on this with you know, our eyes and seeing who is this guy who's forgiving sins? Can't only God do that? And we say, yeah. So who do you think we're talking about here, right? But that was their question. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, so now you got a little bit special insight here from Mark for the first time, that when Jesus knows people's hearts, he knows people's hearts said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? <laughs> be crazy, right, to be in a room with somebody, and you've got this thought that you're thinking about. And he's like, why are you thinking like that, man? Like, what's that? You can read my mind? Okay. All right, cool. Which is easy? To be my superpower, mind reading. And you'd think that alone would have told them he's the son of God, that they read their minds. I mean, yeah, it could be it could be as complex and, and supernatural as that. Have you ever had a conversation and you can tell what the person's kind of thinking by their facial facial expressions? Yeah. He, said a lot. Anyway. he did. Yeah, he, like, he knew what he was doing. I mean, Jesus is not you know, <laughs> born last night, right? <sighs> that one landed really guys. <laughs> I adjust my humor based on. <laughs> That one landed. Okay, but yeah. <clears throat> so, he didn't just heal them, which would have been cool, because we've seen that thus far. He says, your sins are forgiven, and they're like, what? I thought only God could do that. He's like, uh, why are you thinking that way, huh? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Uh, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Great question. What's the answer? <laughs> to say that <laughs> rather than to do it. All right, well, I've got some wild thoughts. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> That's my answer. I don't know. What does it take for God to forgive someone of their sins? I know what it took. A lot of time, a lot of preparation, a lot of maturing of mankind and humanity, the proper time and place and space and language for God to be born by a woman who is a virgin and then to live a sinlessly perfect life, to do this work and then to die on a cross willingly for our sins and then to go into a tomb and be raised three days later and then go back to heaven and tell his best friends, hey, y'all got this, tell the world. Okay, all 11 of you, good luck. 
That's what it took for the plan of salvation, but for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, I'm not sure what that takes. Neither am I sure what it takes for Jesus to heal someone instantaneously. I'm not sure how that works. So the answer really in verse 9 is, I don't know, which is easier, which is harder. But, verse 10, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, has anyone ever had a Bible study and it was going great and you were just walking down point one, point two, point three, point four, and then you get to the thief on the cross? Anyone not know what I mean? Okay, hopefully you know what I mean. All right. If you know what I mean, which was, by the way, one of my mother's hang-ups before she was baptized in Christ, uh, this one helps a whole lot. Because it's important to know when the covenant of Jesus Christ, the New Testament or covenant, began. That's uh, essential to know. But it's also helpful to know that when Jesus say your sins are for, says your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven despite whatever you do or don't do. There's not a whole lot you can do on a cross, by the way. Um, so yeah. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I'd be shocked too. I mean, they apparently knew this guy, right? They've seen the guy that was paralyzed, kind of his friends are carrying him around town, apparently, all the time. And here they are lowering him down, saying, hey, your sins are forgiven. It's like, what in the world? Like, which is easier, forgive sins or heal the man? Hey, you're healed. Get out of here. And he just picks up his bed and walks away. I'm like, what's going on? What is happening? So. God is being glorified. Yep. Do you remember to glorify God when good things happen to you? Every time. Do you remember to glorify God when terrible things happen to you? Because God's still good? I mean, life is hard, right? All kinds of stuff can happen. You never know what a day is going to bring you, right? It could be a great day. It could be a great day, and then all of a sudden a terrible day. I think about David with Bathsheba. Despite all that he did wrong, despite the consequence being that that child that he conceived with her would not live, when that child finally did pass from this earth, what did he do when he was told? Got up, ate, washed himself, and went to the temple to glorify God. If God is still good. Pray that I can do that. It's not my first thought. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I've been doing this for a while, trying to live this Christian life, but it's not my first thought. I'm more upset than anything else. But here we are. Verse 12, He rose, immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed. They glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So for us this morning, when we get ready to go into a 
period of worship, of praising God for all that He is and all He's done for us, let's keep this in the front of our minds. Just remembering that despite what happens to us in this life, God is still good. He still loves us. He paid that price for us. And that we get the opportunity in just a moment to tell Him how much we think about Him. Any more questions? Comments? I think if he had just said your sins are forgiven and not done the healing, Mm -hmm. that was something that was not visible. And so it made a difference to me that one was a visible thing and one was not a visible thing. Yeah. Two. He could do either one. Yeah, for sure. They could see one and they couldn't see the other. Yeah. That was a great opportunity that he seized. Scribes were among those who glorified God? I sure hope so. They should have known the best. Were they still skeptical? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they were. Uh, maybe not all of them. You know, they had a divided crowd later on. Uh, but hopefully they were, they were glorifying God because they knew him the best. I mean, when your job is to know the law of God uh, for court cases, then yeah, you should know it. All right, folks, we're a little bit early, maybe 30 seconds or so. But we'll uh, dismiss now. Thank you for your time and your attention.